John Bailey on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie. I'll be discussing the first ever spinoff from the Fast and Furious franchise, Hobbs and Shaw, as well as the new sort of dark indie comedy starring Jesse Eisenberg, The Art of Self-Defense. Plus a quick Netflix and chat about the new Looney Tunes shorts that aired from 2017 to 2019. So, without further ado, let's get started. Tell me this is not happening. One of the last topics I was going to discuss in the previous incarnation of this podcast was actually going to be about the sort of grid that you have with, um, you know how like there's that political spectrum grid where it's the four quadrants? I have that, but with quality versus entertainment. And one axis is the quality of the film, technically speaking, whether it's good writing good art direction, that sort of stuff, versus how entertained I was by it. So things like in the first quadrant, there was um, good movies that I was entertained by. Things like uh, The Godfather and Jaws and, um, you know, uh, some of the MCU movies being lower down because they're, you know, the writing's not always perfect, but it's great visual effects, especially with, like, Infinity War, I consider one of the best movies ever made. And then, um, you know, to the left quad, left top quadrant, you've got the bad quality movies, but that I was entertained by. These would be your things like The Room, Troll 2, Birdemic, um, I'm trying to think of, like, uh, people would put, you know, people could put, like, things like Suicide Squad there or the Fast and Furious movies. You know, b- things that are not very technically good, but are still fun. And then you've got things in the bottom uh, right quadrant, uh, which are technically good, but aren't as very, um, very, very fun to watch. Things like um, a lot of art films, a lot of um, documentaries can be put there. Things that are very mundane can be put there, or things that are very like technically well crafted, but don't have a lot of real val- entertainment or rewatchability value. Besides that, um, then you can put uh, in the and then the bottom left quadrant is the worst of the worst. Things like the Transformers movies. I put Suicide Squad and Batman v Superman there, where it's just like bad quality, and then it's not fun. So things like uh, the Cat in the Hat as well, though some people have found some uh, ironic enjoyment out of its awfulness uh, in the past couple of years. But yeah, just awful, 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 not even ironic enjoyment, just pure bile and hatred. And you could easily do that sort of quadrant uh, scatterplot uh, graph of your own uh, movies. In fact, if you do so, be sure to share them at Corn Junkie Pod on Twitter or on the Facebook page. I would love to see what your guys' is sort of uh, grid looks like, your spectrum. Um, I bring that up because uh, the Fast and Furious franchise has steadily grown more and more entertaining while being completely and utterly incoherent. Uh, We see this especially in this new entry, which is completely spun off from the official official, uh, course of events for the Fast and Furious franchise. We're no longer dealing with just the cars. We're actually in a just full-on spy comedy. Because we're dealing with, um, I mean, we're basically in a comic book uh, movie without a source material, for lack of a better uh, description. Because what we've got here is The Rock 
and um, uh, Jason Statham as their characters from the franchise being brought together, teaming up uh, in order to fight Idris Elba, who has become Black Superman in the sense that he is he is literally kind of like an Ubermensch in that technology has augmented him to the point where he is no longer human. He's more machine now than man. And Idris Elba is fantastic. He's just a gloriously over-the-top hammy villain. And at this point, you've also just completely... just We're, we're long past jumping the shark or nuking the fridge. We're just completely off the grid in terms of um, utter insanity. We're no longer connected to reality. Reality has long since been disconnected from. And uh, they also do some retconning in terms of, like, uh, timeline stuff and history and introducing backstory stuff like, Oh, turns out there's a sister this whole time. We just never mentioned her at any point. Because it's a, it's that's a big thing in, like, really poorly thought out sequels. It's like, but then here's this character you never heard of. And all of a sudden, they're in the movie now. And it's just like, okay, yeah. Sure, whatever. Whatever to get the plot going. It's it's uh, it's obviously just nonsense. And um, I gotta say, uh, bringing in David Leach to direct is a good choice because he um, has uh, one of the co-creators of John Wick and one of the uh, direct you know one of these best action directors working. You know, director of Atomic Blonde, Deadpool Two has proved himself to be just a masterful action director. And you see that here, even though there's some cheap. You know, short, short, you know, short uh, cuts taken. For the most part, it's a lot of long, flowing shots and really well shot action and choreography. I highly recommend it for the action. It is absolutely oh, amazingly over the top and and wonderful. I mean, you, just like the scene of Jason Statham having to beat down a whole room of guys. Um, just to, you know, The Rock only has to deal with one big dude. As, I mean, there's this great repartee between the two, and it's really well done writing. I hand that up, I chalk that up to um, series writer, kind of carrying over and keeping it uh, connected. Whereas um, Drew Drew Pierce, the uh, director of one of my favorite movies, writer director of one of my favorite movies, uh, Hotel Artemis, is is also co-writing this. And I think he brings a lot of that sort of energy and comedy into this sort of movie. And it's just like, it definitely feels like one of those B movies you see, like, um, uh, where it's just, you know, like a really cheesy action movie, but all of the cheesiness has been given an upgrade. So you're not watching really fine, well-crafted cheese and ham. It's, you know, artisan cheese and ham, where it's just the best that money can buy. And it really is just people who know exactly what they're doing, doing amazing things. And then, of course, you bring in uh, with The Rock now being coming, becoming more interested in uh, showcasing his Samoan heritage. Actually, he gets to take, not not really because it's actually filmed in Hawaii, but in, in universe, they're taken to Samoa. Um... And his, and you also bring in Roman Reigns and uh, an, uh, another half Samoan uh, wrestler. Um, uh, and sadly, I thought Roman Reigns was going to be the main brother that we talked to, uh, but we don't get. I forget the guy's name. I have to pull him up. I've seen him in other stuff, but there's another actor who plays actually plays um, the Rock's brother in this that he goes to see, and um, 
I was kind of hoping it was Roman Reigns, but at the same point, like, it really didn't, um, you know, it's kind of disappointing that it wasn't because Roman Reigns could easily, you know, have the, have the ability to carry, um, his own, you know, uh, Cliff Curtis. What, why do I know? Cliff Curtis, um... New Zealand Maori actor, uh, best known for Sunshine, Whale Rider, The Dark Horse, 10,000 BC, I've seen him, uh, he's apparently an, oh my god, there's five Avatar movies planned, 2027, I'll believe it when I see it, um, he's on Fear the Walking Dead, he was in The Meg, Last Nights, um, A Thousand Words, oof, oof, Columbiana, Oh, he was Ozai in uh, the really bad live-action Last Airbender movie. Um, Live for Your Die Hard, The Fountain, River Queen, um, Fracture, Runaway Jury. He's been in a lot. Training Day? Oh, shoot, he was in Training Day. Uh, so he's been uh, various productions, New Zealand, and, you know, showcasing his Maori heritage like um, a Whale Rider. But he's also play obviously played, you know, other... Um, Bet characters of other backgrounds, Indian, um, Hispanic, uh, various other things. Uh, but yeah, so he's playing um, uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson's brother in Hobbs and Shaw. And sadly, I was kind of hoping it was Roman Reigns. Although Roman Reigns and uh, Dwayne Johnson get to do wrestling moves on some of the stunt actors. So he... Um, he really, Roman Reigns does get to shine, but he doesn't get a word in. So sadly, he doesn't really get the chance to, sh to shine on his own, which is sad because I still say Roman Reigns is the best choice to play Kraven the Hunter in the MCU. So if Disney, Disney Marvel, Kevin Feige, my word to your ears, uh, put, make Roman Reigns, uh, Kraven the Hunter in the, in the next Spider-Man movie or in a future Spider-Man movie. But, uh, as for this... It's a lot of dumb fun. It's absolutely ludicrous, you know, end of the world plot where somehow these two knuckleheads are going to be the ones to save the day for some reason and none of the other guys get to be brought in. Um, they do keep the family thing. It's fa family is, continues to be a major overarching theme with um, uh, Jason Statham reconnecting with his sister Vanessa Kirby and uh, Hobbs reconnecting with his Samoan uh, family and actually bring showing them hit you know allowing his daughter to kind of reconnect with them as well now that he's re you know re you know reconnected with them all and it's 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 all you know once again fast and furious is about family and family connections so i mean they keep that thread going but once again th this isn't high art or anything like that this isn't well-crafted cinema it's well-crafted action it, it's pure popcorn but you're not gonna get like major awards outside of like technical stuff from this movie. This is absolute cheese, but it's gloriously well well crafted and well aged cheese. It's just I, I just wonderful to behold. This is definitely my pick of the week the, of pa of the past week. So highly recommend if you're into this sort of nonsense, you'll have a lot of fun with it. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, yeah, you're not missing anything in this spinoff. You should have never started taking karate. You can't be weak anymore. I'm interested in buying a gun. I need something that can fit into my hand. Sounds like you're after a handgun. I challenge you to a fight to the death in unarmed combat. 
This is your belt. It is yours. It is sacred. There'll be a fifteen dollar charge to replace a lost belt. There really is no other way to describe this movie other than Mumblecore Fight Club. That is honestly the best description I could give this movie. Uh, Mumblecore, for those who aren't familiar with the term, it's been a while since I've since it's been on, on the tip of the tongue for um, you know uh, film critique and uh, you know film like sort of fandom. Uh, basically, it was the genre that Michael Sarah and Jesse Eisenberg built. There, it's the sort of quiet. Um, not a lot of, you know, it, it's a lot of, they call it mumblecore because, um, it's, you know, the characters all kind of speak softly and almost mumble their lines. And you get that a lot here. Um, I don't know the director. Uh, he only, he's only had one other, uh, feature film before this and I never heard of it. Here, let me pull him up. Um, but, uh, the premise here is essentially sort of a less toxic, uh, outright uh, version of Fight Club in that um, let me get the director uh, Riley Stearns here uh, he's only had one something called Faults which never even heard of uh, can't tell where it's from uh, Chris Ella, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's in it so I'm guessing it's uh like Cali, California, something like that. Some, you know, very independent sort of production. Um, yeah, USA. So, uh, no idea if it's any good or not, but, um, apparently it's big enough that the guy got enough, you know, I gave him the guy enough clout that he was allowed to, you know, get this new movie off the ground, which is, um, like I said, it's Mumblecore Fight Club. And it's all the tenets of that sort of, indie low budget soft spoken mumblecore movie but it's it's more or less a sort of answer to fight club in that having never seen fight club before and only knowing its toxic reputation as people took it way too seriously it takes the mentality that people who are really into fight club and buy into that ideology to the and kind of steps back from it and showcases just how toxic that hyper masculinity is and I think that when it does that, it is really well done. Um, Jesse Eisenberg plays another nebbish character. He almost kind of comes off as um, as uh, Jim Parsons uh, playing Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, sadly. And But I think that's just how Jesse Eisenberg plays uh, his normal sort of nebbish characters. And it may have been Stern's really playing up that sort of idea, uh, that sort of character, You've also got Imogen Poots, although she's sadly underutilized in this movie. She is the only female character in here, and Imogen Poots is you know, a phenomenal actress and sadly just goes completely wasted in this whole premise. And I will say this, they don't force her into being the love interest, which is good. They don't, you know, they don't need to force her to be a love interest for Jesse Eisenberg. They can, you know, they don't need to have that sort of albatross around their necks of, like, tr uh, bad cliches. But she's still fairly underutilized and just not doesn't really bring anything, isn't really able to bring anything to the table. Um, the real standouts here are Jesse Eisenberg and uh, Alessandro Nivolo, uh, Nivola, who I remember from Jurassic Park 3 as uh, 
Dr. Grant's assistant, Billy, who get who steals the raptor eggs and almost and gets uh, killed by pterodactyls, except he gets saved at the last minute. Uh, he doesn't get a lot. He hasn't been in a lot of stuff, but he was in a. He was also Pollux Troy in Face Off, and uh, he was he had a bit in a, he had a role in American Hustle. Uh, he's in a show called Chimerica, and uh, has been in various other um, independent movies, Neon Demon, and an uncredited role. He was in Selma as John Deere Door. Uh, he was in A Most Violent Year, Devil's Knot, Ginger and Rosa, Howl uh, about um, co- uh, what's his name. Uh, the beat poet, Allen Ginsberg, um, uh, Coco before Chanel, uh, the girl in the park, the company miniseries, uh, the Darwin Awards movie, which I actually remember when it came out. Uh, so he's been in various June bug. Uh, so he's had a, you know, he's been steadily working and here he gets to be full on just like hyper masculine insanity. He really plays up this villainous role as a guy who really ropes in Jesse Eisenberg into his toxic uh, ideology. And you really get an idea of just like how messed up that sort of path leads you down. And thankfully, this movie is um, understanding enough to know that the hyper-masculine ideology of Fight Club is inherently toxic and... The whole movie is about reali- the character realizing that, realizing how it's messed up his life and how these people are not good people and how he's you know supposed to deal with being roped into this uh, madness. Uh, I will say, though, it kind of suffers from a... Uh, it could have used for another, a couple other uh, drafts in the script. I feel like the way it's written, especially some of the dialogue, could have used some new takes. New, It feels very writerly dialogue uh to put it a certain way whereas it you know some dialogue feels natural like conversational this feels like somebody wrote down words and it's and now then forced people to say them it doesn't feel natural as dialogue so i think trying you know taking some new stabs at that i think also his deliveries uh that he makes people do feels very deadpan and wooden I think he. I don't think he's very great at conveying great emotion. Although Jesse Eisenberg does, you know, show a range of emotion. And there's a bit where he actually breaks down and cries in his car that you see in the trailer. And so, I mean, Jesse Eisenberg does get uh, the chance to ex- 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 explore various emotions, but the, for the most part, they're all kind of deadpan and wooden. And I feel like, you know, that kind of distances yourself from the movie and it makes it more um, sterile. You know, it's more of a sterile environment. It's like, you know, very matter-of-fact and lab-like. Like, you're watching it in the laboratory, not, you know, experiencing it. So, I will say that uh, it's not a bad movie. I highly recommend it, uh, especially as sort of, like, the answer to Fight Club. To be like, you know, this whole nonsense of people buying into this ideology is just completely terrible, right? And... I will say it's not perfect. It definitely could use some polish. But even in its current, you know, even in its final state, I do uh, think it's a solid movie. Um, Just, you know, it's not as fun as Hobbs and Shaw, but it's not as well-crafted for me to really appreciate it. So it's a good effort. So 
we'll see what if Riley Stearns comes up with any anything else. But you know, for a second run, for a second uh, movie, he, he did a good job. We'll see if he does anything else. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. Like I mentioned, uh, as there are weeks where there's very few movies to talk about, I will be doing a lot more. Uh, t- I'm going to try and get some more uh, streaming options uh out of the way so that I can c- catch up on things that are that I've been neglecting as I just kind of d- inherently default to YouTube and just watching reruns of videos I've essentially already seen before. So for this one, I've been meaning to check out the newest line of Looney Tunes shorts that they'd made for Boomerang. And now that Boomerang is part of the Verve uh, collection of streaming services, I was able to catch up on the whole lot of them for over the course of two, the last two years. It um, They premiered in 2017 and only just ended uh, in 2019, in this year, due to just, they had, were given one last uh, run of shorts because just they couldn't get anybody to really pay attention to them. Mainly because Boomerang is a is so is also ran subset of Cartoon Network, and it's definitely not going to have the same subscriber count. And even then, they're not they're never going to get the same viewer rate as regular Cartoon Network. So it's a very niche channel. So there was it, it not a lot of shows are going to excel on that network, but. For what we got, the new shorts weren't too bad. Uh, they're very mediocre for the most part. A lot of them kind of run the gamut of the usual stuff that you get with Looney Tunes shorts. It kind of retreads a lot of the old ground. But um, for the most, like, it starts off mainly with Bugs as the focus character while they add in new characters for him to face off with. They bring in Yosemite Sam, so it's Bugs and Yosemite. I don't know why they did it this way. I think it was a very bad choice in their part. Because it started with Bugs, and the only other character they brought in was Yosemite. And then they had all new characters. Like, the best one they had was Bigfoot, played by Matt Mercer. And Bigfoot is played like a, a more childlike and lovable version of the Abominable Snowman from the old um, cartoon with him and Daffy. You know, instead of him being, I will love him and pet him and call him George. It's more like, hey, lady. Yo, and it, uh, you know, oh, lady. I'm, yo, is lady in today? Oh, lady. Uh... Do you need help with, you know, getting those carrots, lady? And it's just, like, really sweet, innocent, childlike, and it's and it's goofy. And Matt Mercer has the perfect voice for it. And um, I will say, so, yeah, he's the standout new character. Uh, they have a knight that doesn't really do anything. They have the winter stag, which feels very, you know, forced. Um, played by Rob Paul, but played by um, Jeff Bennett. I believe, uh, and just once again, the voice cast in this is amazing. Candy Milo, um, like I mentioned, Matt Mercer, um, uh, Jeff Bennett, Jim Cummings, um, uh, Dee Bradley Baker, who's kind of become the new uh, Frank Welker. Uh, for those of you who know in, with inside, uh, you know, knowledge of voice actors, Frank Welker used to do all the animal voices. He is, you know, since in his older age, has kind of eased up on that, not doing that as much. Uh, and Dee Bradley Baker, who has done a lot of stuff for Cartoon Network, has become the new Frank Welker 
uh, for the last generation. So he does a lot of the animal stuff and gets to play, play a bunch of characters. I think he gets to play Daffy at one point when they finally introduced the old characters back. There's a French spy played by the late Kath Susie. Um, like I said, just a phenomenal... Tara Strong shows up at one point. Um, Fred Tattashore is in there. So, I mean, like, very... If you know anything about voice actors, you recognize a lot of the names that pop up in this series. Um, but I think the problem was the first two seasons, if you call them that... Um, kind of suffer from just focusing on bugs and these newer characters without bringing in the classic characters to kind of integrate the new characters into the into the into the the fold so to speak and the show it's that it's that last season where they bring in Daffy and Porky and Elmer and yo know, um Wiley Coyote is in there for the beginning too but in the older um Wild E Coyote super genius sort of mold Never, he never really gets to chase the Roadrunner, sadly, uh, which was one of the classic bits from the old Looney Tunes shorts. Um, but yeah, Daffy and Porky are back to their old shenanigans, where it's like Daffy, instead of being the disgruntled, also ran to bugs, is is the complete off the wall bananas wacky character that he's known that he started off as. So they kind of you know took back the sort of jaded nature of his character that he's had for the last couple of decades um and they kind of returned him to his roots which works really well um but yeah like the, the stuff once they bring in the classic characters it really hits its stride you really feel like you're watching the old characters all y'all with a fresh coat of paint and back to back to you know fun times as usual and it's sad that they decided to do that the last, you know, chance they had instead of that being their starting point. I feel like their starting point should have been with all of the characters, not just with Bugs. I don't know why they did that, um, but, I'm, you know, I'm not the creative head over at Boomerang or whatever giving these orders, so... Uh, yeah, but the new characters aren't as memorable. Uh, Matt Mercer as Bigfoot being the standout one. Um... And then once it really kicks into high gear once the old gang or old gang of characters are brought back, they um, make Pepe Le Pew a spy and pair him off with the Kath Susie French spy Fox. Uh, there's a there's one two part episode that features Snoop Dogg of all people. It's weirdly bizarre, but not in a fun way, and it's never consistently bizarre enough for me to really recommend you binge it like I did. I don't regret watching every episode, but I also feel like they could have done way more with it, considering you're dealing with the entire cast of Looney Tunes at your disposal. You could do so much with it, especially trying to integrate, you know, the developments that have happened even since the last Looney Tunes reboot they did, where it was a sitcom. There's so much you could do now, and yet they kind of are relegated to... They don't really, you know, if they had just started... Where they ended, the season, the show would have probably done way better, I think. But I think the problem is they aren't really, they never really tap into what made those old cartoons work, which was namely, it was, you know, parody and, you know, like really slapsticky comedy. And some of the ones are really solid, but a lot of times it's all kind of average it never really strives to be amazing and it never really hits hard enough like 
I remember the Snoop Dogg one because it's like, oh, it's a hip, it's a rap battle. And it that and Bugs gets taught how to rap by Snoop Dogg. Should have been done by Jay-Z, because Jay-Z is the one who wrote his lines in Space Jam. Which they do reference several times. They they are self-referential, and they do uh, throw in a couple of jabs and jokes at themselves at their own expense. Um, but yeah, it's there are some solid episodes in there. It's, mo- it's more above average than just bad. If nothing's bad. There weren't really bad episodes. Although the Snoop Dogg one was absolutely bonkers and not very good. <laughs> it's not good. It's just, like, bizarre. But I do think, yo, if you, you know, if you want to like tune in, tune out, you know, fun, bingeable, um, you know, background sort of comedy, you're not missing a whole lot by watching. I mean, you may find some gems in there like I did, but for the most part, it's all fairly above average, slightly above average, six out of 10, um, you know, not terrible, but, uh, you know, nothing like to really write home about. And I think, um... You know, everyone put in a good job. It wasn't bad effort. Uh, I think they when they recreate redid a modern day version of the one where uh, Bugs was being hassled by the animator. Um, that was fun retapping into that. But now with the modern day advent of um, things like Flash animation and uh, you know Toon Boom and these new computer programs, so tapping into the old mindset but bringing it to a modern day setting is what would make the show these new shorts work but i feel like they really have they never really did that until towards the end when they had no nothing else to lose i think when they were resorting to bugs and these new cast of characters it was like this really isn't working out and it was and by the time they got all the old cast in and it's classic looney tunes but with this new coat of paint it it was too all too little too late so if you get the chance, if you have Verve, go check out uh, the new Looney Tunes shorts. They're not not they're not really bad, but you know you have to go you have to kind of pick and choose which ones really work for you because not all of them are are you know amazing, but there are some good ones in there. Uh, you know, good job by the the, the cast and crew all around. Uh, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad they are at least continuing to try and keep the Looney Tunes alive. You just need to find the right you know you know, uh, collection of creators who really get what made the Looney Tunes work and are able to do that without a lot of oversight and, um, you know, people stepping in and making decisions for them. Who knows what went on behind the scenes. But I feel like, you know, with the, with networks, you know, at your beck and being the one in charge. And I know how producers and executives and, you know, the, the business side of things always kind of, you have a tendency to you know, throttle actual creativity in the favor of, um, you know, market research and blah, 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 and all that. But yeah, anyway, uh, new Looney Tunes shorts, most, mostly good. Not, I don't think there are any bad ones, outright bad ones. Um, but they definitely, you know, they're definitely not like amazing either. So yeah, uh, above average, you know, slight rec- slightly recommend them. You know, and we're not going to say you should rush out and watch them, but, you know, if you get the chance uh, and you have Verve and you have access to the Boomerang collection of stuff, you know, give them, a, give them a shot, see which ones you like. That does it for the review portion of the show, and uh, let's take a look uh, to what's coming out this coming weekend. 
coming soon to the Popcorn Junkie Refilled Podcast. I initially thought I would have five releases to cover this weekend, this coming weekend, because on top of everything else, we have there were five listed on thenumbers.com, which is where I go to for the release schedule. And I looked at Fandango to confirm, because it's... Um, it's now Tuesday morning at midnight that I'm recording this, and I double-checked with Fandango to see what was being scheduled at my local theaters, and there's mainly four to cover. So there's definitely four coming out this coming weekend, so maybe not Netflix and chat, we'll see. We'll see if I get the chance to watch anything else at home, but uh, for the new releases, the big ones are going to be Dora and the Lost City of Gold, and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, with the smaller releases being The Art of Racing in the Rain and The Kitchen. So let's break down what we know about these upcoming releases. With the big one, Dora, um, although IMDb lists Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark as the big one coming out that week. But that's probably because there's more audience anticipation for it versus Dora. Um... Door in the Lost City of Gold was being brought to us by James Bobin. Robin? Bobin. James Bobin. Who is best known for The Muppets Most Wanted and The Muppets, uh, the, the recent Disney movies. He was also a writer on Flight of the Concords. And uh, as far as director goes, um, Alice Through the Looking Glass. Although he did do a Lupin the Third movie uh, live action in Japan. It looks like. No, that was shot in the USA. No, wait. No, this is Jap. They're all Japanese actors, but it was apparently a U.S. co-production. Basically, there was a live action. Um, uh, he may have directed the dubbing portion of it, for all we know. I don't know how the production of that went. Um, he was also a writer on the Ali G show. Um, but... This guy's mainly known for working on Dolly G's show, Flight of the Concords, the Mupp the two Disney Muppet movies since uh from from 2011, the reboot Muppet movies, and his last movie before this was Alice Through the Looking Glass. So he doesn't exactly have good things working in his favor given his last movie. Uh but he's only the director uh what, you know, what makes the um makes the show is not just the director but also the writers uh we have as writers um for the screenplay we have three mention we have uh two mentioned with uh one mentioned for story credit the story credit goes to tom wheeler who is best known for puss in boots surface and the cape as well as the lego ninjago movie and the video shorts for, and the video short, Puss in Boots, The Three Diablos. He's also been announced for a movie called Mandrake the Magician. From Ethan Cohen. Ethan Cohen. The uh, director, who I believe was the director of the Garfield movie. No, he's the director of, uh, he was a writer on Idiocracy and Tropic Thunder. Wasn't this the director of the... Who am I th Oh no, he's the guy who did Holmes and Watson. Oof. Oof, oofa doofa, oof. So we'll see if that work if that turns out any better. But it's starring uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, um, from based on the comic strip. So no idea about that. We'll see if that makes the lighter day. 
Um, uh, but the actual screenplay was written by Matthew Robinson, who is best known for Monster Trucks and The Invention of Lying. Good. Um, he's also writing the uh, li- uh, Live, Die, Repeat, um, Edge of Tomorrow uh, sequel. I don't... I'm sorry, is there a sequel to Monster Trucks coming out? Okay, whew! Okay, no. It's called Monster Problems. It's coming out next year, and it's starring Dylan O'Brien and Michael Rooker. Uh, and it's a... It looks like an adventure action comedy. Maybe comedy? It may be more serious. Um, but it's about a post-apocalyptic movie where it's kind of... It sounds like it's zombie land, but with instead of zombies, there are, are monsters that they're killing. So we'll see how that turns out. Um... But yeah, uh, his last movie before this was Monster Trucks. Uh, would not want that on my resume, followed by Door the Explorer movie. Uh, and then Matt Nicholas Stoller, who worked with uh, James Bobin on Bo- Bobin Bobin on the two Muppet movies uh, that I mentioned, as well as Storks and Neighbors 2. So, oh, he's also an executive producer on Smallfoot. Let me take a look here. Uh... Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. Good. The Carmichael Show. Good, good. Uh, Friends from College. Night School. Not bad. Year 3000. What's that one? Huh. Huh. Some looks like animated movie. Hmm. Um. Let me pull up his writing credit again because it defaults to him being a producer. Um. Zoolander 2, mm. Sex Tape, uh, Five Year Engagement, mm. Gulliver's Travels, Ugh. Get Him to the Greek, mm. Yes Man, Fun with Dick and Jane. But that seems to be his older stuff. Um, and I don't know if he was the only one connected to those. But his last movies, his last um, credits, The Carmichael Show, excellent. You know, the fact that he's connected with that is a good sign because that is always... They, I, don't, I haven't seen a bad episode of that. Um, Night School, not bad. Captain Underpants, one of my favorite movies to come out in uh, 2017. Um, Friends from College. A Netflix show that had Keegan-Michael Key on it. Um, Fred Savage, Nat Faxon. Uh, no idea if that show was any good, but apparently it was already canceled. But so, um, this guy, Nicholas Stoller, um, has a lot of bad movies, but early on in his career, his recent output has been solid. We'll see if that turns out to be the case for this one. So I will be, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that there was that infamous, uh, I believe Hollywood reporter, uh, in a, uh, review where the dude was like this, like 50 plus year old senior citizen white writer just absolutely fetishizing a 16-year-old character on screen. Like, absolutely like, oh, God, uh, uh, let me, oh, God, I have to pull up this review. Let me see about this review. I think it was The Hollywood Reporter. Um, Here we go. Uh, I'm not going to pull up the full review just because I hear it's awful. I just want the highlights. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, 
Film reviewer at respected industry publication, The Hollywood Reporter, has come under fire for his creepy review of the upcoming children's movie, emphasize on that, Door in the Lost City of Gold. Hollywood Reporter Todd McCarthy. There's a palpable gap. Uh, hold on. There's autoplay on the trailer for the movie. Um, from the from the review, quoted from the review, this is through uh, news.com.au, uh, Australian uh, news site. There's a pal- there's a palpable gap you can't help but notice between the essentially innocent, borderline pubescent nature of the leading characters and the film itself, and the more confident and mature vibes emanating from the leading actors. I'm sorry, what? He continues onward. The director seems to be trying to keep the hormones at bay, but there are some things you just can't disguise. Perhaps human nature first and foremost. Dor seems committed to projecting a pre-sexualized version of youth, while throbbing unacknowledged beneath the surface is something a bit more real, its presence rigorously ignored. Let me, um, let me pull up this Todd McCarthy fella here. Let's pull up his information. Todd McCarthy, Todd McCarthy. Where is, trying to get this guy's information. Todd McCarthy. American film critic. He is born in 1950, so he is 69, very appropriate, years old. And, um, yeah, he is definitely old enough to know better than to act like this movie is sexual. I'm sorry, what? What? Like, I'm, like, what? Because her shirt is, is form-fitting or something like that? Like... I'm sorry, were you getting horned up watching the Dora the Explorer movie? What? Like, that's the thing. Isabella Monaire already had these issues when she was in the frickin' Michael Bay movies because he can't help but horn up his actresses. In the... Like, that's all the thing is that she just happens to wear a a regular-ass t-shirt and the shorts to make her look kind of like... You know, you know, a, a, somebody as a, you know, somebody as a, a teenager dressing up as Dora the Explorer. You know, apparently she's also from Cleveland. I keep forgetting that she's a Cleveland native. Yo, girl, what's up? Sea town represent, <laughs> um, represent the land, girl. Sorry, uh, local stuff. Anyway, like that's the thing is, she just just in a shirt. She's in a shirt. But apparently because Todd McCarthy saw her boobles, then he's all horned up. Very appropriate that he is 69 years old. The horniest year of your life. She, like, that's the thing. She is, um, 18 years old. Playing a 16-year-old character. Probably at the filming of this, she was, she may have been 17. Because this was probably filmed last year. So you're taking a... Basically, just turning 18, teenager, later te- later years teenager, and getting all horned up over her in a shirt and shorts. 
just basically looking like Dora the Explorer became a teenager. Like, there's nothing overtly sexual about her in the, in the thing. It's just like she's in a shirt and happens to be a teenage girl. And it's just like, I see her boobles. I'm getting horny. And he just like laid that all out on the, on the, not on the page, on the um, word processor for all the world to see. Just, he wanted everyone to know how horny he was for a 16-year-old character. And he acts like, they know what they're doing. They know what makes me horny. Todd McCarthy, you are an absolute disgrace. Jesus Christ. Oh, uh, well. Anyway, coming up next, uh, the, I'm sorry, there's a Monsters vs. Aliens thing, and it threw me off because, like, what the hell is that? Oh, apparently, IMDb is trying to make its own channel now, which is weird. Weird that that's happened, but apparently IMDb wants to go the way of Netflix, where they have their own original programming. This world is new and scary, and I don't like it. Anyway. The next big release, the one that's kind of anticipated, but very cautiously, because the books are so iconic, is the Guillermo del Toro produced Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark adaptation. I actually got confirmation, I still can't believe this, from Andre Uvidal, I believe is how you pronounce that name, Everdal? Everdal. How do you pronounce that? Let me pull that up, I do not... This man actually responded to me on Twitter. I want to do his name justice, damn it. Okay, let's pull up Wikipedia. They usually have... Nope, didn't even bother. Ugh. Okay, let's try pronunciation guide. Pronunciation, here we go. Here we go. Andre Ivredal. I was right, Everdal. Andre Everdal. If I'm getting that wrong, Mr. Um, Everdal, Mr. Andre, uh, please let me know, because I would, I do want to do, give your, I do want not want to be uh, mispronouncing your name all the time, especially since you're also connected to a very well, well, well respected uh, horror movie, Troll Hunter. This is the director of Troll Hunter, um, directing this movie, so it's obviously in good hands. Um, and, uh, yeah, Guillermo del Toro producing. S solid cast. Uh, takes place in 1968 as he, um... I still need to watch that Scary Stories documentary. I've been following them on Twitter for the longest time. And now it's finally out. I, get, I have to check that, that, check that out um, for this next, uh, next episode. Uh, but we, the only real name we've got in here is Dean Norris from uh, Breaking Bad is, the, is one of the adult characters. It's, I never even heard of most of these teen actors. Uh, Zoe Margaret Coletti is the main character. She is from the Annie movie uh, in 2014. And she was on in, the, in this indie movie called Wildlife that, she, that if you were familiar with the indie circuit or the art house circuit, you may remember. Um, Michael Garza is the other main character. He is from Mockingjay in a role I don't remember. As well as Wayward Pines. Uh, and this something called Timeless? No idea. He was also in an episode of... He's been on... Uh, yeah, so not a lot of stuff. So he's fairly new as well. And then Gabriel Rush 
is in this. Uh, he is from Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, not no letting go. Um, so he seems to be in the um, Wes Anderson camp of actors. Uh, don't recognize any of the other things he's been in. He's been in like little bit, little one episode bits of TV shows like uh, Gotham, Madam Secretary, whatnot. Um, Better Call Saul, but. Yeah, this see he's this seems to be a uh, possibility for him to break as well. Uh, Gil Bellows as the police chief. He is best known for the Shawshank Redemption as Tommy, and that seems to be it. He's also in this TV series called Jet with two T's, and some TV show called Patriot with uh, Michael Dorman. That I don't recognize. Uh, Amazon Prime Original. Okay. Uh, so yeah, a lot of fairly unknown actors. And ones I don't really recognize. They um, they they definitely have the possibility to do a real major breakthrough. And hey, it looks good. It looks solid. Uh, they seem to be bringing a lot of the art style from the book into the... Uh, into the visual style of the movie. So it looks like the, these 2d really nasty drawings are given these three, given this third dimension. Uh, and, um, and I like it. So yeah, Guillermo del Toro is co-writing, uh, story by Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. They are, um, best known for the neighbor, the collection, saw 3d, the final chapter, uh, feast, various uh, various horror movies. And by the way, this is R rated. They they are not holding back on that. They're not making this a PG thirteen movie. This is R rated. Uh, the Collector. So these two guys came up with the, these two guys behind Feast and the Collector series. The uh, duology are behind uh, the story for this. And then uh, Dan and Kevin Hagerman, uh, Hageman, Hagman, Hagman. I want to say Hagman. Uh, are writing it. They are. They were on the Troll Hunt. I'm sorry. Is Troll Hunters from DreamWorks based on the based on the movie that Andre Ilvedal made? Hold on. Hold on for two seconds. I need to know this. Troll Hunters: Tales of Arcadia. Please. Don't tell me it's based on it. Okay, no, it's based on a book that uh, Guillermo del Toro wrote. Um, okay, so it's not technically... That would have been amazing if Guillermo del Toro turned a kid show, made a kid show out of the movie that this guy is directing. That would have been an amazing thing. But yeah, the late Anton Yelchin was in this DreamWorks animated show called Troll Hunters, which is very good, written and directed a lot by uh, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, Dan Hageman also wrote on the Lego movie, Hotel Transylvania, Ninjago. So kids movie writer but he's also worked with Guillermo del Toro so it's not like he's you know averse to working in horror and uh so the, yeah you've got these horror right oh my god some of the uh, Kevin actually worked on the miscellaneous crew with for uh mystery men but uh yeah these guys are known for writing kids movies for the most part but they're you know they're taking a move a story uh, made up by these, you know, R-rated horror... 
Okay, no, it is PG-13. I, th- I I thought it might be. I thought they may have going for an R rating. I thought they were were going for an R rating, but making it PG-13, that explains a lot um, with the kids' movie writers uh, working on this. But you know what? I even you know, it doesn't need to be all out blood, gore, and all that. It can just it can, you don't need to be hit. You know, PG thirteen doesn't have to be a hindrance. Good writers could work within the PG thirteen rating without a problem, and Guillermo del Toro could easily do that. Maybe there's an R rated or an unrated cut. We'll see at the end. But uh, you know what? I'm excited for this. I'm very I'm very much anticipating this movie. Uh. Next one is going to be The Art of Racing in the Rain, which is based on some book, and it's basically a knockoff um, Dog's Purpose movie. Like, this whole thing is a knockoff of a Dog's Purpose, it, because without the killing. Uh, they're comparing it to Marley and Me. Uh, the only real actors in it that I recognize are Amanda Seyfried and Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner voicing the dog. Which is weird because you're hearing Kevin Costner's like 70-year-old voice coming out of a puppy. And it's bizarre. Director is Simon Curtis, best known for My Week with Marilyn, Woman in Gold, and Goodbye Christopher Robin. So, really high-class stuff. Um, You know, all like Oscar-bait indie, you know, like really high-class drama directing. And then uh, the screenplay is by Mark Bomback, who is best known for... War of the Planet of the Apes is a producer. The Total Recall remake. I'm not going to hold that against him. And uh, Race to Witch Mountain. Which I guess was a thing. Um, he also wrote Outlaw King, which I didn't hate. He did write War for the Planet of the Apes. So he's a producer, but he's also the writer. on. He wrote The Wolverine Unstoppable, which was I, I never saw. Um, Deception, never heard of. Live Free or Die Hard. Uh, but, hey, he he wrote the last two uh, Planet of the Apes movies. Those were fantastic. In fact, War for the Planet of the Apes is one of the best movies in the entire franchise. So, dude, dude's a good writer. Uh, and then, yeah, Kevin Costner. And then the ma- the main lead is a guy named Milo Ventimiglia. I want to say it's Italian. Ventimiglia. Uh Unless unless he wants to, unless he doesn't want us to pronounce pronounce it the Italian way, which is Ventimiglia. I'm guessing he wants the Italian version sounds better. Ventimiglia. Uh, he is best known for Heroes, where he played Peter Petrelli. Uh, this is Us, where he played Jack Pearson. He was on the in the Killing Season, and Pathology. Uh, so yeah, he seems to be best known for This Is Us, although he did play. Uh, uh, Rocky's son in Creed 2. Um, yeah, he, so yeah, he's Jack Pearson in um, This Is Us. He plays Spider-Man Noir in the Ultimate Spider-Man. He played Spider-Man Noir in the Ultimate Spider-Man series for um, the short-lived time that that it was a thing. I don't know. It's not the same one as... Um, is it? Is it the same one that was on... Uh, I mean, it's got Drake Bell. So maybe it was the same one uh, on uh, Disney XD. Uh, but at any rate, um, so the, so he's a solid actor. I had I, I I thought of this as a really bad, uh, you know, knockoff of uh, the, a dog's purpose. 
but we'll see. It may just be bad at marketing because these guys are all mostly deliver all hits for them. Uh, like the only real stinker amongst them was the Total Recall reboot. Uh, but you know, for, for everything else, it seems fine. So we'll see uh, about the final product. And then lastly, we've got the kitchen, which is a adaptation of a the Vertigo graphic novel, or is was it a series? It was a series from Vertigo, and um, we got Andrea Berloff directing. She is best known for Straight Outta Compton as a writer. The one. Uh, one of the writers on Straight Outta Compton, as well as a writer for World Trade Center. And the Mel Gibson movie Bloodfather. Also the movie Sleepless. So she's mainly known as a writer. And this is her first director. This is her directorial debut. So, hey, if it's good, it's good. So I'm looking forward to your uh, venture into directing, Ms. Burloff. As for the writing, we got the two comic writers she's writing and directing so she's finally stepping into the director's chair we'll see how she does it looks good uh the premise here is 1970s um hell's kitchen you've got melissa mccarthy tiffany haddish and kate kate moss elizabeth moss elizabeth moss uh as these three wives of mobs i think they're the three wives of mobsters i want to say um let me see the wives of New York gangsters in Hell's Kitchen continue to operate their husband's rackets after they're locked up in prison. So they decide to do it. You know, sisters are doing it for themselves. Uh, you've also got Domino Gleason in this. Uh, Common is going to be in here. Uh, Margot Martindale. Bill Camp, I recognize. Gabriel Rush. He's got two movies out this weekend. Ha-ha! Nice. But yeah, the main... Draws here are going to be Elizabeth Moss, Melissa McCarthy, and Tiffany Haddish as the as these wives. And it looks like this sort of definitely 70s exploitation movie. Looks like a lot of fun. I can't wait to see how it turns out. So those are the big ones. Although there was one more that I may be able to see. We'll see. It is the latest from Bleecker Street, Brian Banks, which is, I believe, based on the true story of... A football player who, while in college, was wrongly convicted of a crime and the attempts to, you know, get, get his innocence, you know, get his innocence declared and, you know, his verdict, re, you know, undone. Uh, this is directed by Tom Shadiak, who is best known for The Nutty Professor. And I am. And Ace Ventura, Bit Detective. Weird place to be. Weird place to come from. Also, producer on I pronounce I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Not great. Uh, his last movie before this was I am Evan. Um, he did a documentary before this, and then Evan Almighty. He's and I am is rated thirty eight on Metacritic and seven point six on IMDb, so somewhere in between there. Um, director Tom Shadjak speaks with intellectual and spiritual leaders about what's wrong with our world. Oh. Speaks with Desmond Tutu, Noam Chomsky. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Don't recognize any of these other names. So it's going to be one of those movies where everyone waxes poetic on, you know, what's wrong with the world today. So 
No idea about that. Uh, but yeah, having a comedy... I mean, once again, comedy directors can go straight and do drama if they're good at it. So, I mean, we'll see. But uh, the, writer, the uh, writer is Doug Atchison, who is best known for something called The Pornographer, which I think st- looks like it stars... Um, who is this guy? Michael DeGood. Oh, good. So just like nobody I've ever heard of. Fantastic. Uh, as well as Akeel and the Bee. Okay, that's better. Both ends of the gun. Hmm. So, so yeah, this guy is, uh, this is also the director of Akeel and the Bee as well. So, so this, at least it's got that going for it. I have no idea if Tom Shadjack, how he does that drama, but at least the writer has an idea of what he's doing. And then um, we've also got Sherry Shepard, uh, Greg Kinnear as the lawyer, and then um, Aldous Hodge as the main character, Brian Banks. Uh, Aldous Hodge being from Hidden Figures, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Straight Outta Compton. He played MC Ren in, in uh, Straight Outta Compton. And he was on the show Leverage on TNT. So this dude's got this dude's got some... Uh, you definitely got some clout behind him. He's got some good credits behind his name. But um, I'm not seeing a lot of... You know, theaters near me showing it. Let me see if... Full cast and crew, where's show times? Here, let me go back to the main page. Uh, get tickets. 44310. It is... There is a, there are a couple theaters near me that are playing it, but I have they're out of town. So if I have the time to go out of town and see it, I will. Otherwise, I think there's, like, one movie coming out next week, so I may wait a week. But, uh, yeah, for right now, there are four playing locally. I think I'll get those out of the way and then worry about going out of town when there's a slower week. So that's what to expect for, from the, on the next episode of Popcorn Junkie Refilled. And, uh, yeah, I think that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by finding ours on our webpage at GumbyCatNetworks.com slash popcorn-junkie and whitelisting us on your ad blocker, adding us to a fa- you know to your favorite uh, tabs on your web browser. And, you know, check out all of our other fine programming, Donna's stuff at the Snarkcast. I'm debating whether or not to try and talk to... Um, Vanessa about restarting uh, Phantom of the Podcast because despite the fact that that podcast has been dead for the last, I don't know how many months, maybe almost a year, uh, if not more than one year, uh, people still like the page for it. So people are checking out that podcast apparently at some point or another. So I think we should bring it back at some point. (laughs) Uh, So we'll talk i'm gonna to talk to her about that or i'm gonna talk see if i if if maybe i'll bring it back with some new co-hosts or something like that but people seem to be into it even though the show's been dead <laughs> maybe time to bring it back um you can also check out um my other show living in the stacks where uh we just where it's a monthly little book club where we get together and talk about uh a book but that one of us picks um the last one we did was dex uh picked uh, home, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, and uh, this coming in the coming weeks uh, on the fifteenth of this month, uh, I'll be we'll be discussing my pick, The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. We get weird in that one, so stay tuned for that. 
And then uh, if you're listening to us on your uh, mobile device, you can find uh, find us on all your various podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iTunes, you know, um, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Uh, if we're not on your provider, then let me know and I'll be try to add myself to them as well. You can leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show, that they should check us out as well. Uh, you can also share us on your various social media. Social media home is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. That's where all the major announcements are. You can also find me on Twitter at cornjunkiepod. I'm probably the most active there. I'm on Instagram at popcornjunkiepodcast. You can check out my um, reactions to to what I've watched on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. You can also read my text reviews at on Letterboxd at cornjunkiepod. And, uh, yeah, and you can also, if you feel the need to support me and you want to help the show out and get access and promote and actually produce, help produce future content, you can do so at patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. You get access to the currently 10 episodes each of make a better movie and much along. I will, I do want to keep the much along series going once patrons start rolling in. And I think I'm going to reboot the, um, do another reboot, uh, of make a better movie because I think my problem was, it made it sound like the movie I'm fixing is bad. And I, I got in trouble with that with a friend of mine who really lo- who really pre- loves the movie Def- uh, Defiance, which is about the, uh, you know, Jewish uh, uh, resistance uh, to the Nazis in World War II. Polish Jewish resistance, I believe. Polish? Polish? Some, I think Polish. Um, the one with Daniel Craig and Leif Schreiber. Uh there were some things that I, I think it tied into Operation Finale, uh, and I, I I gave it to her to listen because she was concerned that I was deriding the movie as being bad. So I'm going to reboot. I want to reboot that into Popcorn Junkie Studios presents, or something like something along those lines. Basically, they get somebody gives me the reins to a thing, and that thing is going to be suggested by patrons, and. I have full control over what the thing is, be it a pre-existing property, uh, something to be adapted, you know, a book or something to be adapted, um, anything of that nature. You know, somebody gives me the reins to remake a certain movie or make an adaptation of this thing or have another shot at making this current thing, this other thing that already exists, like I did with Make a Better Movie, where it's like, if I wasn't the one in charge of this production, what I would have done in if I was making that movie. So that's what I want to do with that mental with that idea. That way, it's not so negative. You know, there's not a negative connotation to the thing I'm fixing, quote unquote, being bad. But that's all up to patrons. If you if you like that idea and you want to help that help make that show a thing, support me on Patreon. It's all monthly. There's no tier system. You get access and you're able to help produce content for as little as $1 a month. And, you know, doing so really would, ha- would really help me out to really expand on this show. So the main thing that is going to stay on the main feed is re- refilled with just straight reviews. And if the Patreon kicks off the corn talks, which is the discussion portion um, separately, that that allows me to give more time and to research and having something to say, pro- mo- probably bringing in guests as well. And then the popcorn junkie presents. There you go, popcorn junkie presents. You know, dot dot dot, whatever the patron chooses. And then Munchalongs will be patron exclusive. 
just because of the nature of these sort of things. Having it behind a paywall makes it easier for people. It's it's the Rift Tracks problem. So having it behind a paywall makes it a little easier. So if you want a Rift Tracks style com- uh, commentary, there's 10 already on there and you can help suggest more. I have great, I, I, you know, I have, I have tremendous ideas. I have all of the ideas. But yeah, I have ideas for what to do for patron content. I just need patrons to support it and help those be, come to fruition. You know, the only way I can do those things is if I have more time to dedicate. And I know that there's a fan base that wants these things to exist. So the only way to make those happen is to support the Patreon. And, you know, you're not obligated to. But if what I've described interests you at all check at least check out the patreon at patreon.com slash popcorn junkie and if there's anything else you want to say to me any kind of feedback you want to give any kind of you know rebuttals you know what did you think of the movies they reviewed this week or what did you think of the new looney tunes shorts um what are your anticipations for the upcoming releases you know what have i you know, interest you interested you given how I described the you know people making these movies coming up. Uh, you know, have you know has anything about that interest you at all? What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, send all that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. If you want me to read your comments out on the podcast, leave leave a message in either the subject line or in the or in the message itself saying you give me explicit permission. And then I will re- I can I will read what you wrote, and then otherwise I'll just simply paraphrase and mention that you know you know somebody report you know responded to my call for <laughs> feedback, and you know this is what and they roughly as they said roughly this I won't be beholden to laying out who you are what and what you had to say just that somebody said something. Uh, that does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And I'm still trying to get into the swing of things, so we'll hopefully get onto a regular schedule soon. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Welcome, I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. I'm Diana. And I'm John. And together we host the book review and discussion podcast, Living in the Stacks. Every two weeks, we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if we'd read the book again. Whatever the genre, whoever the author, whether it's good or bad, we'll read anything once. So if you want to join us, you can find us, Living in the Stacks, available through Gumby Cat Networks. <laughs>